Jesus, the change agent, the Savior, the Redeemer. Amen. When Jesus shows up on the scene, things change. If anyone is in Christ, he or she becomes a brand new species of being. Thank you. A brand new creation. Don't you love the idea? Doesn't that rouse your heart that he makes all things new? You know, the marketers of products, all they do, I, I went to a mass media course in college back in the 70s, and one of the, the, the I had a great instructor, and it was really a good, uh, enlightening class, and they basically said, you know, what they do is they'll take a product, and they'll slap new and improved on it, and it will, it certifiably will stimulate a certain part of the market, and they'll be attracted to it. But Jesus doesn't just slap a superficial sticker on it. He changes us from the inside. Ezekiel said he'll take away the stony heart and he'll give us a heart of flesh. And what Paul said, I love this verse, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Let's look at it on the screen and let's read it out loud together. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. That's not a, an adhesive sticker that says new and improved with an exclamation point and lightning bolts. It says that he changes us from the inside out. There's change in true Christianity. That when anyone receives Jesus and is in Christ and receives and humbles themselves, they open up to him, they repent, they confess and acknowledge his lordship. I love Charles Stanley, the Baptist preacher from Atlanta, Georgia. He's in heaven now. But he was really big on the new creation. He had some great in insights into this truth. And, uh, you know, it's, it's not uh, just cordoned off into a certain zone of the denominations, and uh, some have it and some don't. That verse transcends all those walls and all those uh, false definitions. That's the gospel that comes, the good news that penetrates people's lives and turns us from darkness to light and from the dominion of Satan to God. Let's go to Colossians chapter 1, and I want to read something to you that I wrote in longhand and put my highlighter on because I got so enthusiastic about it. And uh, I want you to just look at this for a second. And, and while you're turning to it, I want to go to my golden text for the Sunday morning services, the Jesus series. We're talking about Jesus. Jesus, John 14, 6, the way, the truth, and the life. No one, I repeat, no one goes to the Father but through him. There's salvation in no other. There's no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. There's salvation in Jesus. He's the Savior who saves. He's the healer who heals. He's the deliverer who comes in and turns our dysfunction into function, our darkness into light. He takes us and look at what he strips the, the power of the enemy. He came in 1 John 3, 8 to destroy the works of the devil. He came to seek and save that which is lost. Come on, guys. And he, and he said this in, in Matthew chapter 16, verse 13. He asked a question in Caesarea Philippi. Might as well be Chesterfield Valley, Missouri. He says, hey, guys, uh, who do people say that the Son of Man is? He's taken a survey. What's the general consensus in the population? And they said, well, some think you're John the Baptist. Some think you're Elijah. Others think you're Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And he said, okay, but who do you say that I am? Boy, let that penetrate. 
Because we're all individuals. And God doesn't, he, you know, he, he acknowledges crowd mentality, but he, he, he doesn't stop there. He goes to the individual. He goes to each and every one of us in our hearts, and he says, who do you say that I am? Simon Peter, he speaks up and he says two things. He says, you are the Christ. That's the Greek word, Christos is the Greek word for Mashiach, Hebrew word, Messiah, the deliverer, the rescuer, the one promised in Genesis, the third chapter, that the seed of the woman would crush the head of the serpent, the one that was prophesied and, and, and was told in 300 and some verses would be born of a virgin, would be born in Bethlehem, would be the son of David, and all these characteristics, all of which Jesus fulfilled. And Simon Peter says, Master, teacher, rabbi, you're the Christ. And then he said, you're the son of the living God. <laughs> Emmanuel, God with us. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. Jesus, the word made flesh. And the word is God. I mean, it's radical. In that little response, it's actually the biggest blast of understanding that humanity has ever uttered. There's, there, at this season, there was, there was Socrates, Plato, Aristotle, Epicurean Stoics. There was so much mentality. People were building pyramids and I stood on the top of one in Guatemala uh, of a, from the Mayans, and, and, and you know, I, my, my daughter went over and saw the, 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 the pyramids of Cheops. We've been all over the planet at this point, and all the different uh, anthropology and archaeology and all the amazingness, but then you go right back to, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And this is the base of us as we go from December 31st into January 1. This is the foundation. This is why we say, you know what? I concur with what Peter said. I believe he is everything he says he is. I'm not just falling back on some myth mythological religious concepts to try to soothe and assuage my concerns and comfort myself. I know that it stands alone. Jesus is everything that he says he is. And Jesus got so enthusiastic about it, he conferred such an honor on Peter. He said, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you. But my father, my father revealed this to you straight out of heaven, straight out of heaven. And, and he said, and I also say this to you, you're, you're Peter, and upon this rock, I will build my church upon this rock of revelation, upon this rock of revealed knowledge from heaven, from the Father. The basis of the church is revelation that God previously concealed and is now revealed. The mystery of the ages, Christ in you, the hope of glory. And he says, the veil is pulled away. If anyone, there's a veil over the word, but if a man turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Have you turned to the Lord? Yeah, you have. You wouldn't be here. Have you responded to his call? No one comes to him unless he draws them. It's he that saved us and not we ourselves. We're his people, the sheep of his pasture. And aren't you glad he went out and he'd leave 99 to go get you? Don't you know he's done that? And when you drifted, aren't you glad he would go and get you and take that shepherd's crook and go, come on along, buddy. Bringing you back. Who in here has a testimony? God's brought you back. Who in here has a 
testimony, the best testimony in the church of God's mercy and love? Whose testimony in here is the, by far the best testimony in the whole church? You ought to all feel that way, unashamedly, because it's your testimony. It's your witness. It's your account that God brought you out of the pit. God brought you out of confusion. He's the God of peace and not confusion. And that he's with you. And he said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Uh, Hebrews 13, 5. He said, lo, I am with you always, even to the ends of the earth. And he said it in the context of going to all the world and preach the gospel to every living creature, teaching them and preaching to them and leading them and, and baptizing them. And, uh, you know, it, it's, it's a phenomenon that's occurring in our world again. While the world's getting evil and waxing darker, uh, the Lord is amplifying his people, amplifying his message, amplifying the awareness of his son. A revelation of Jesus is going forth. It, got, it has to start in the church. It has to start amongst us. We've got to re-up on it, make Jesus priority, push away all the idols, all the distractions, and, and forget what lies behind and get adamant about it. Get enthusiastic about it. Get bold about it. 1995, three young men got together and created a song that was part grunge, part pop, part rap. And, and they, it was called, the band was called DC Talk, and the song was Jesus Freak. And the point of the song was, you know, I'm unashamed and unapologetic about the gospel. And it was a strong and good quality song. And I love it. I listened to it last night. I stayed here from 8 o'clock, 8.30 in the morning till dark and, and had a wonderful time praying and seeking God. And uh, that song ministered to me. That idea ministers to me. That we can stand firm and hold fast with our convictions. And like Peter, we could say, you're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. You're the way, the truth, and the life. You're it, Jesus. You're the pinnacle of the best that there is. Right? Well, that's my introduction. So let's go to Colossians. Did I say Colossians 1? Yeah. So it, this is an amazing prayer, Colossians. Paul the Apostle is so, he knows that God answers prayer. And he, and he's, he sees indicators in the church at Colossae. And he says, man, you guys, you know, you're living it, you're... You're, you're full of faith. You're endeavoring to be faithful. The gospel is going forth uh, from you. You, you. You know, you're bearing fruit. You're increasing, and it's really cool. I'm happy about it. Epaphroditus, uh, one, of my, one of my messengers, told me you guys were being faithful. And so, I, you know, I, I, he informed me of your love in the spirit, that you're, you're, you're getting along, you're flowing. And he said, so in verse 9, for this reason, also, since the day we heard of it, we've not ceased to pray for you and ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects, um, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience, joyously giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. To ponder that, it's breathtaking. And it offers 
um, an insight into how thorough and how complete God's redemptive work is for us. And we ought to give thanks. For he rescued us from the domain of darkness. And he transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son. When I became a Christian, I was in Southern California, and it was, due to the fast-paced changes, the war in Vietnam, the drug culture, the drug, sex, and rock and roll, the baby boom generation was being blighted by bad choices. And as a, young, young, a bit younger than everyone else in that sector, but trying to catch up with it, being influenced by it, I developed what you call an identity crisis. An identity crisis. Until God one night convicted my heart that I was separated from him. I can't describe to you how significant this moment was. It was haunting. It was, it was a moment where I was trying to have a prayer and communicate with God because I had been taught that there is a God. And I was, you know, God made us. He said eternity in our hearts. It says in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 11. God said eternity in our hearts. That's why all the nations, all the villages, all the tribes, all the, gen- all the generations, there's this fascination and fixation with, you know, what is our origin? How did all this happen? Uh, what, why is the world in such a mess? How can it be fixed? All these questions. So many worldviews have culminated. So many world religions have culminated. But God has said eternity in our hearts. And in Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, he said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. And in the image of God, he created a male and female. He created them. And then he, he, he said, he gave them a directive in verse 28. In chapter 1, he said, God blessed them. God blessed them. Amen. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and rule over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the sky, over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed and the surface of all the earth and every tree which yields fruit and it shall be good food for you and every beast of the earth and every bird of the sky to everything that moves on the earth which has life I have given every green plant for food and it was so and uh, God saw that all he made uh, he saw all he made and and behold he said this is very good everybody say very good the snapshot of pre-fall glory is sublime it's amazing adam and eve and the splendor of creation their three and a half pound brains were working at 100 percent efficiency because it hadn't been marred by sin they hadn't been marred by sin there's no distraction because they were birthed by god and for god adam immediately was able to name all the animals which indicated that the creator wanted his creation to be creative He's given humanity the ability to speak. He's given us a speech center in our brain and a hearing so we can hear and listen to him and speak with him and then converse with one another. Hallelujah. You know, Adam was alone, and so he put him to sleep and popped out a rib and created Eve. And when Adam woke up, he went, 
Wow. He said, this is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. For this, he didn't even have a mother and father, but he said, if I did, I would leave them to go with you. So that must have been a happy moment for, for Adam. And Eve was like, it was probably like Pepe Le Pew and the cat. You guys know what I'm talking Who knows what I'm talking about? You were from the 50s. Who does not know who Pepe Le Pew is? Google it. Because that's Pastor Jeff and Patsy right there. I'm chasing her and she's dodging me and it's just the way it goes. I keep running after her. But my heart runs after God. The collateral damage of the fall is they ran away and hid from God. That's the fall. That's why humanity is all seized and recoiling and, and backing off. When Jesus, with outstretched arms, is saying, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. The other day, a mother told me that her son is cancer-free. Just a moment, and he had a battle. We visited him at the hospital. And he was, he suffered. He couldn't eat. They wouldn't feed him for several days. He's a little sweet little toddler. God brought him forth. A woman just told me that due to genetic predisposition and family history, she, at a younger age, got colonoscopies and things. And the doctor said, I think you were misdiagnosed. You have absolutely no indication that you ever had a problem. Well, she did have a problem. And it's so radically changed in her life that there's no trace of it. And she knew that she did have a problem before, and God totally turned it around for her. So when I say if any man, woman, or child is in Christ, he or she has become a brand new creature, a brand new, crea brand new creation, a brand new species of being which never before existed. Jesus being the firstborn from the dead and the firstborn of many brethren. What Adam failed in, Jesus came in and prevailed over. He who knew no sin was made to be sin on our behalf so we might be made the righteousness of God in Christ. Knowing that, carrying that, dignifies you. In fact, T.L. Osborne, a great preacher, he preached here. And, and he said, the most dignifying truth in the Bible is the fact that we are the creation of God Almighty who created the universe. When you catch that, it's different from what Charles Darwin theorized, that we came from amphibians, or what the, the, the new idea is that stardust came from asteroids and mixed some chemicals, and from the primordial stew came life, from an, inanimate objects came life. No. The Bible is clear. He breathed into us the breath of life. So there is a creator that we are to be appreciative toward. There's a creator that we must answer to. There's a creator that we must be cognizant of. And as we are, it causes a shift in the way we decide things and the behavior. We know we're accountable. We know that he's watching. He, we want to hear those five words, well done, good and faithful servant. And the thing that pleases him is faith. And the thing that pleases him is hope. And the thing that pleases him is love. And the thing that pleases him is cooperation and obedience and unity where we push aside the lies of the enemy. We lay aside the weights and the encumbrances and the sin that so easily besets us. You know, the New Year's resolution, let's resolve. We all want to lose a few pounds. Let's lay aside the weights and the encumbrances. Let's lay aside the distractions. And let's get our eyes on Jesus. Fixing our eyes on Jesus. 
falling in love with Jesus, worshiping Jesus, getting to know Jesus, getting people to know about Jesus, walking so closely with him that people could tell that we've been with Jesus. Unpretentious, unapologetic, not pushy, never threatening, not awkward, always impactful. Jesus at the center of it all. And listen to what it says here as I continue in Colossians. For he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son. I was in a Bible school, and the leader of the Bible school read this verse, and it leapt off the page to me. He didn't even preach it with a much uh, uh, push. It just it pushed by itself. It just it, insight and light and brightness came to me that I've been rescued. He rescued me. And he transferred me out of that insecurity, out of that isolation, out of the sinfulness, out of the, that youthful uh, uh, identity crisis. And he gave me an understanding. And he brought me into his kingdom. And I want to say how happy I am and thankful and grateful I am that the Christians God led me to at the beginning were not cultic. They were not emotional. They were not fanatical. They were not weird they were very practical and approachable, and they had had their lives changed, and they were not putting on airs, and they weren't trying to use things as a badge to impress. They had come through all that. They were just grateful to be saved, grateful to be saved. And they brought that gratitude in a way that I could relate to it, and, I could, and they modeled something that life could come, and salvation could come, and healing could come, and a, and a, and a turn of events can occur. And the possibility of being a new creation and having Jesus come in and live on the inside of you, that was so foreign to me. And it took time for me to learn it and understand it. But upon confession of Jesus and upon receiving him, I instantly became a new person in Christ. Accepted in the beloved, cleansed and washed and renewed. That's available to all of us. So Paul is preaching and he's praying for the Colossians and he says, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Just as if, you know, I heard the word justified used in an in a interesting way. Just as if I'd never sinned. The blood of Jesus is so powerful that when the judge of the universe sees you under that blood covered by Jesus' work, uh, he looks at you and sees you as a worthy new creation. And you can stand before him without the sense of condemnation, guilt, or inferiority because you have been accepted in the beloved. You've been brought near by his love. That's why we draw near with confidence to the throne of grace. And even as Christians, when we sin, we have an advocate with the Father. And if we, First uh, John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, what happens? He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. Oh, you again? Talk to the hand. I don't want to ever see you again. He doesn't do that. He doesn't do that. That's not his nature. The judge of the universe is going to deal and his wrath is going to pour out. But for the believer, his wrath was poured out on the cross. That's why the sky turned dark. That's why the earth shook. That's why he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It was singularly the most devastating thing that could ever happen to anyone. All of your, my, our, all of the concentration of the eras of sin were poured and funneled into that precious person in the center, in the, in the cross in the middle up on Calvary. And he took our sins and he bore our sicknesses and the chastisement of our peace was upon him. 
That's why we can say, by his stripes, I am healed. That's why that little boy is healed. Now they're on their way to Ghana, Africa to visit family and celebrate how healed he is. Or the woman that said, by the way, I no longer have any indication of colon cancer. That's what we believe. That's what we trust. That God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Those things didn't cease. They're still continuing. We continually offer up a sacrifice of praise and, and we rejoice. And we get out of confusion because he's a God of peace and not confusion. And we get out of bitterness because God's forgiven us of a 50 zillion dollar debt. We ought to forgive the nickel and dime garbage that even Christians have backstabbed us with and just say, I'm over it. Say, throw your hands up and say, I'm over it. Say, I'm done. And some of you are like, wait a minute. I, ha I have a whole list of these things. Throw them off. Throw them off because they're hindering the flow of the spirit in your life. Throw them off because they are blessing blockers. Throw them off because those people need you to pray for them. Turn your bitterness and contempt into prayer. God, I pray you bless them in the name of Jesus. I wish I could pray some Psalms of David breaking their teeth, and I can't. Because I'm in a new covenant inaugurated on better promises. Move on them. Bless them. After a little while, your heart starts changing. But for the grace of God, go I. And in case I've offended, since I've probably offended people, whether I knew it or didn't know it, forgive me, Lord. And then it gets you in a humble place. It gets you out of pettiness and cri a critical attitude. There's so much bitterness. The world is passing away at record speed, breakneck speed. Sin is accelerating. Can I say it? In the early church, it was birthed in the Roman Empire, and it was seizing it was the tail end of a thousand-year uh, moment of the Roman Empire. And they were taken, they were imbibed by themselves, and it was getting dark. The church was birthed in a really crazy cultural climate, and the end-time church is leaving in a very crazy and distorted climate. Jonah, uh, Noah had to build an ark in a moment where people only did evil always continually. It got to the point, things were so devastatingly weird, God had to push the reset button on humanity. And by his grace, a lot of people say, well, why in God of love, why would he do that? He did it with us in mind. In fact, on the cross, why did Jesus allow himself to suffer like he did? For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. He saw people from the nations. He saw Jew and non-Jew. He saw people from Africa and the Latin world and the islands and Scandinavia and the, and the American peoples and all the peoples, all of all the tribes and the nations and all the ethnicities. I did a little study uh, of how many people were alive during Jesus' day. They think between uh, uh, 200 million and 600 million. They don't know because there's no real history for it, so we really don't know. But they do, and they did keep records since the recent uh, centuries. Can I tell you that in 1900, there were 1.5 billion people? Do you know that in 1956, the year of my birth, it went up double to 3, bil 3 billion, 3 billion at my birth, 3 billion. When I was born again in 1972, 16 years later, it went up a billion to 4 billion. When we started St. Louis Family Church in 1988, it was five billion. When we hit 2000, and we as a church 
had come through the flood and we're doing flood relief and we're, we're, we're doing food distribution and we, we think we had a football team here that we're getting baptized in the Holy Spirit and committed to the Lord. I was chap, the chaplain and I was helping them and we printed six million gospel tracts and the year 2000, can I tell you how devastatingly attacked my family got in the midst of that great breakthrough moment. We're still healing from it. But yet, nevertheless, the firm foundation of the Lord stands. Nevertheless, the Bible said, in the world you'll have tribulation. So by the grace of God, we keep pressing on. And in the year 2000, remember Y2K when planes were going to fall out of the sky and all that stuff? It went to $6 billion. So at this point, from my birth until 2000, population doubled. Do you know in 2023, you know how many people are on the planet? Eight billion. We just hit eight billion. And their projection, when I, on my 100th birthday, which I invite all of you to come, 2056, they're projecting 10 billion people. Should Jesus not come back between now and then, we're going to see an amazing wave. Apparently... God loves humanity, and he wants heaven to be filled. Reinhard Bonnke and I had a similar point of view about something, and I heard him say, I never heard anybody coin this. I used to say, I want to make vacant places in the lake of fire, and I want to fill up heaven. And he said it in a different way. But he, he led 79 million people to the Lord in his 79 years of life. And it actually ex it escalated in the last few years of his life. And it, it, it went up like something like 40 plus million of those souls happened in the last few years from 2000 on and up to his death. And uh, I'm believing as we watch wars and rumors of wars, nations rise up against nations. As we see, because lawlessness has increased, Many people's love has grown cold. We see people smash and grab. We see people hate. We see a new resurgence of, 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 uh, of ethnic hostility. We see, we see what happened October 7th in Israel. We see the, the, the perilous times. We, we see the possibility, and you could read this later, of a Psalm 83 war, which is going to precipitate to an Ezekiel 36, 37, and 30. 38, Magog and Gog war and the end times. We're certainly, just statistically, closer to the end times than any generation has been. And I don't need to embellish it. I don't need to get all emotional about it. In fact, I'm pretty calm and steady because Jesus said, I'm going to come back to a glorious church without spot or blemish. And he said, he said uh, Peter, uh, you know, you got this revelation, and upon this revelation, this rock, this, this solid foundation, I'll build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. The devil's trying to bear down on you because he's a liar. He's the spoiler. Spoiler alert. The devil comes only but to steal, kill, and destroy. He wants to steal your joy. He wants to kill your momentum. He wants to destroy your destiny. But you have a destiny. You have a calling. And in fact, this is what Paul is praying. He's saying, I pray you understand how transferred you are. How solid your situation is. How elegant redemption really is. 
Had the evil forces known what was happening, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. First chapter of 1 Corinthians. Second chapter. He that has begun a good work in you will perform it to the day of Christ. You drifted and then you came back. I'm counting on it too, James. God has a plan for each one of us. How do I know this? Oh, Ephesians chapter 2. Now, I didn't finish this. Let's read this to verse, uh, uh, let's see. Yeah, um, 8. He emptied himself. Oh, wait, I'm on, the, I'm on the wrong verse here. No, I'm all over the place. Colossians, here, yeah, Colossians chapter uh, 1. Uh, in him we have redemption, verse 14. He is the image of the invisible God and the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, Charles Darwin, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created, look, through him and for him. Look at this. He said, before Abraham was, I am. He said, he is before all things. He's the Alpha and the Omega. In him, all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. You want to do a New Year's resolution? Lay aside your distractions. Make it all about Jesus. Sunday mornings, I'm unapologetic. I'm preaching Jesus. Why? Because he's the way, the truth, and the life. Uh, there's all other ground is sinking sand. Jesus penetrated the fallen world. He came and took on the form of humanity. He laid aside his deity rights. He functioned by faith and stood on the word modeled the pattern that we could follow. But most importantly, he took our sins. He suffered and died. So we might be made the righteousness of God in Christ. Then he says, by the way, extraordinary, I'll call you to be ambassadors for Christ. And the early church got up. They didn't have jets, they didn't have printing presses, they didn't have social media, they didn't have radio waves, they didn't have TV. Yet they got by foot and carried the gospel to the then known world. The reason I read to you that from 1898, my, my great aunt Eileen was born. She lived to 1998. I visited her in St. Petersburg, Florida in the kitchen. She's four feet 11, I hugged her. She hugged me, this warm hug. She, she was so sweet. She, gave, she sent me $5 bills for my birthday every year from the time I was at. She never had children, couldn't have children, but she treated me so sweetly. And then my son, Taylor, said she sent him $5 bills. I thought, that's awesome. And I was hugging her in the kitchen, and, and Taylor actually was there. And she said, I can't believe I'm 100 years old. So I did the math. She was born before manned flight before Orville and Wilbur Wright flew in the plane at Kitty Hawk. She was born before radio, which didn't happen until 1905. She was born before, of course, World War I and II and Korea and Vietnam. Television, radio, only 1.5 billion. 
But man, the Lord manifested himself in 1905 in Los Angeles, in Wales, in other places we know and don't know. And he, and he, and he, I, I remember God moved mightily in Los Angeles. I grew up there in the Southern California area. I was born in San Francisco. So around that time, they had an earthquake. But God moved in Los Angeles and responded to praying people. And a rushing mighty wind and the fire of the Holy Spirit visited upon them. And it's happening again. There's still earthquakes and wars and volcanoes. And people are evacuating in Iceland. Have you ever met Icelandic people? They're amazing. When I was in Oklahoma, I saw this husband and wife and kids. They all look like Vikings to me, you know. And I heard them speaking. He said, excuse me, may I ask you what language you're speaking? Oh, we're from, and they spoke very good English. We're from Iceland. I said, oh, wow. And it was, they were just beautiful people. And I just had such, remember that? It was just wonderful. And uh, now they're having this crazy volcano. The world's, the world's groaning. Creation is groaning. And they're actually longing to see the manifestation of the sons and the daughters of God. You come in on the scene. You feature high in the end times, and Satan knows it. He's jealous, and he's bitter. And as I said, he's the spoiler who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And so the world, the dogma, a worldview has alighted upon humanity since they ate the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Where did we come from? Primordial stew, and the answer from the world would be from the naturalist point of view, is we're the product of random acts and accidents and nature uh, with no real purpose. That's where the existentialist idea comes. The life is worthless, it's nothing, it's empty, it's meaningless, it's absurd. And its followers were suicidal and depressed and imbibing on substances to, to pacify the time. They thought when they died they'd go to the eternal oblivion. No, there's a heaven to gain and there's a hell to avoid. And we don't want to be indifferent toward our creator. Well, what went wrong with the world? Well, we just haven't respected nature enough as we should. And we've got to stop leaving a carbon footprint. I actually was a Boy Scout. And I learned that you go to your camp and you camp and then you make it look better than when you got there. So I would pack trash. I'd pack old rusty cans and paper and put it in my pack and carry the litter out because I felt responsible for the world. My dad taught me to, to tidy up and clean up. And you'd, In California, it's $300 fine for littering. That'll give you an incentive not to trash the temple, right? And any smart animal isn't going to foul up their nest. So there is wisdom in that, but that's not how it's going to fix the sin problem because the Christian worldview is the reason there's a problem is Adam and Eve sinned and we all sinned against God and subjected the whole world to a curse. You read Romans 8 afresh, verse 18 through 23. Oh, it's deep, man. It, it, about creation groaning. Why Iceland has the, this, the, the lands. You look at the videos of the ground cracking. Listen to what it says here in Romans chapter 8, verse 18. For I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself also will be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory 
of the children of God. Listen to verse 22. For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. Verse 23, and not only this, but we also, we ourselves, having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves, we groan within ourselves, right? There's no small heartache. Even though we're redeemed and the joy of the Lord is our strength, we just feel like we're taking a shower with our socks and pajamas on. It's like something doesn't feel right. What's, what's wrong here? Oh, it's just not quite right. Paul said, we, we looked through a glass dark. Hey, April 8th, 2024, Cape Girardeau, Missouri, about two in the afternoon, it's going to be a total eclipse of the sun. Last time we had one in our parking lot, and now it's just right down, just a couple hours down the street. Check it in your calendar and go buy some of those little glasses and let's go enjoy it because there won't be another one until 2044 or something like that. Why, why did I, why'd you just drop quiet in here? I'm, I'm like Bill Nye the science guy right now giving, giving you a heads up. Because I love what God does. When we had that, we, remember Nancy, we were out there and you were near me and we were just, you, we were, we had, you had tears in your eyes. I did too. It was like, God, your stuff is so great. You know, when I consider the moon and the stars that you made, what is man that you're so mindful of him? And the son of man that you take thought of him. This mom will pray and heaven will move because of it. This guy will commit to God. And God will give him such a promise and such a breakthrough. It'll, it'll, all, all the trouble will be worth it. All this momentary light affliction isn't even worthy of comparison to the eternal weight of glory that awaits him. And my God shall supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Right, kings? Right, you guys? Don't make me come down there. Signs, wonders, miracles. He brought forth his people with joy. He's chosen with glad. Look, I've had my share of challenges. You know, I attribute all my problems to my own sin, at, you know, from the early days. And then I realized the devil's a spoiler. And he doesn't, he hates the threat we pose by the nature of our calling. He, he, he mandated that we go into all the world and make disciples of all the nations. He said, I'm going to call you something, the light of the world and the salt of the earth. He said in Ephesians chapter 2, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. And you were following uh, the, the spirit of the, the prince of power of the air, the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Next time you watch the news, turn the sound down and realize there's a spirit working in the sons of disobedience. Use your faith to come against it. Don't let the devil get you in a politicized uh, kind of an environment. Don't get on a little petty preferential ideals. Go into the kingdom mindedness and say, God, I'm the light of the world and the salt of the earth. You made me an ambassador for Christ. As long as I have this earth suit, whatever I bind on, bind on earth is bound in heaven. Whatever I loose on earth is loosed in heaven. I'm going to find some people that are like-minded. We're going to get in agreement. We're going to stay out of strife. Because where there's jealousy and strife, there's confusion in every evil work. And he that has begun a good work in me will perform it to the day of Christ. And God is at work in me both to will and to do of his good pleasure. And since that same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in me, having done all to stand, I stand. Nations be shaken. Gospel be preached. Church be revived. World be saved. I'm interested in these billions of souls. 
And God led me, God led my wife and me into contact with some of the most wonderful evangelists of the last hundred years. We facilitated the Billy Graham training for the, all the altar workers in our church. We had a couple, a mom and a daughter that stayed in our church for two years. We bonded with them. We cried when they left, both of us, we all cried. They were such a joy. Billy Graham's leader came in and you know, understood my vision to love the body of Christ and reach the lost and not get into a lot of petty little hair splitting of theology. The church in the dark ages retreated into pettiness and the devil came in and messed up, blighted whole countries. Now we're getting the priorities. The devil's fought us through this last few years. Get off on this tangent. I've had people send me books. You got to get up and use your pulpit for this. You, the, the, the patriot pastors of the, of the colonies did this. You got to do this. What about the 1938 German church? What, I've been thinking about this my whole life. I've been anticipating this moment since I was a kid. When I was a teenager, God was speaking to me about this season of my life. And I'm convinced that when Jesus comes back, he's going to find faith in the earth. He's going to find people that had December 31st said, you know, I'm going to lay aside the heaviness. I'm going to forgive everybody. I'm going to refuse to quit. I'm going to lift up my eyes. I'm going to trust God for some fresh, refreshed vision, for new beginnings, great opportunities. Let's all stand up on our feet. This is what I was going toward in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. And this is what I want to say to you. It's already 1051, and I know I have to finish. But uh, this is just the start for you. Listen to this verse. I want you to read this out loud. Can you kids read this with me? You guys ready? You guys stretch your legs. You guys good? Run in place a little bit. That's what I do. Say this with me. For we are his workmanship. Say it. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. Lay your hands on yourself. The biggest lie the devil tells people, it's cruel. It's a dirty trick. You're a nobody. You don't count. One person's obedience can change the whole world. You know how I know that? Look to Jesus. Say this with me like Isaiah the prophet. Here am I, Lord. Send me. Use me. Speak through me. Get me ready. Help me out. Because, boy, I need your help. And thank you, God. You're available. In Jesus' name, amen.